Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hello, my friends. Thank you for joining me. It is that time again. You have found the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast, and I'm your host, Denise Green, and I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited about this topic. I think I say that about all my podcasts. Maybe someday I'll do one that's eh, meh, but I doubt it. I love this stuff, and we're going to have some fun with this one. I am going to talk to you about my least favorite word in the English vocabulary, Because this word will keep you stagnated. It will keep you from becoming your best self. Unless, that is, you key into this word and you know what it's all about. And you learn to not follow the instructions that this word wants you to follow, but to overcome this word. And the word is should. Now, if you've ever been coached by me, you know already that I hate this word. And I like to have a lot of fun with it with myself and with my clients. And sometimes they call me the should police. Because here's the problem. The problem with should is we are debating reality. When we say should, we are passing a judgment about ourselves or about the world or about other people that is not based in fact. It is just a judgment. And, you know, this morning I was reading Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and it's all small, small stuff from Richard Carlson, and the way I like to read this little gem of a book is I just like to flip it open to a page and see what it tells me I need to know today. And I flipped open to chapter 96. These are like two-page chapters, so it's really lovely to start the day off with. And he writes, when we have preconceived ideas about the way life should be, they interfere with our opportunity to enjoy or learn from the present moment. This prevents us from honoring what we're going through, which may be an opportunity for great awakening. Brilliant. So the key word there is should. When we have preconceived ideas about the way life should be instead of the way life is. So what he's saying is we can't live in the present when we're saying the word should. We're either living in the future, I should really spend less time on Facebook tomorrow, someday, or living in the past. I shouldn't have eaten that piece of cake. Hmm, maybe I'll eat less someday. Hmm, maybe. And the chapter, um, chapter 96, that I just read you an excerpt from is called Be Open to What Is. I love what is. Because what is, is true. And I need truth in order to know what I'm dealing with and how to overcome it. You know, people will say, oh, you have an appointment? Oh, good luck. Uh, I hope it's good news. Like, I just pray for the truth. When people say, oh, I'm praying for you. Like, no, I'm praying for the truth. If you've ever been in a situation where you have been misdiagnosed or had a mystery illness, you just want the truth. Because when you know reality, 
you can come up with a plan, with a strategy. And his title is so similar to Byron Katie's masterwork called Loving What Is. If you have not read Loving What Is, please just hang up. Just, just stop this and go and get the book and read the book. Or you can listen to me for another few minutes and then go get the book. And if you've read it already, reread it. Byron Katie is brilliant and she is so heartfelt and she's so loving that she can get away with asking these questions, these four questions she calls the work. And the first question she asks somebody when they present their issue, their annoyance, like, um, my brother should really pay me back the money he owes me, or um, my boss shouldn't be such a controlling freak. And her first question in the work is always, is that true? Now, the people who go to Byron Katie know what they're getting into. And so they always pause and say, no. Because what she means is your opinion may feel true, but it is your opinion. It is not reality. The truth is your brother is not paying you back. That is what's real. That is what's true. Not that he should. Oh, and by the way, your brother probably has a really good should on his side as to why he shouldn't pay you back. So whose reality is true? Right? So when we stop saying should, we can come back to the present self and we can ask ourselves better questions. Instead of asking, hmm, when should I do that? We can ask ourselves, what is keeping me from doing this? How passionate am I am about this? Maybe we're shooting ourselves because you know what? It's not a big deal. We have no passion about it. Am I ready to take this on? If you are, then guess what? You can turn it into a must. Shoulds do not motivate us. They do not get done. But must do's get done. They're no longer excuses. There may be obstacles, but not excuses. Excuses keep us in victim mode. But obstacles are something we can overcome, we can plan for. So a must is something where there are no alternative routes. We don't say, you know, I really should breathe today. Or, you know, I really should let my heart beat today. No, it's non-negotiable. We can turn anything into a non-negotiable must. Jack Canfield, in his great book, The Success Principles, calls this the 100% rule. It is so much easier to do something, to make a co commitment to yourself when you are 100% committed versus maybe 80% committed. So that is what we're talking about. And he gives an ex as an example Dr. Wayne Dyer, uh, rest in peace, lovely, lovely human soul. And he had a must of jogging every day. So sometimes that meant he would jog in place in the aisle of an airplane. He did not care about being foolish. He did not have a should, like, well, I should run, but I'll just wait until tomorrow. No, he made it happen. So many people wait for a horrible health diagnosis to change. And then guess what? They do it cold turkey. It could have been a must all along, 
but it was uncomfortable, so they kept it as they should. Someday I'll quit smoking. Someday I'll stop eating sugary sweets all day long. So guess what? You don't have to have the diagnosis to quit anything cold turkey. And when you commit, resources just seem to magically flow your way. Now, whether that is really happening or whether it's just your brain is now primed to notice all of these resources that you never saw before, I don't know. Personally, I think it's a combination of both, but I can't prove it. I just know it happens. And anybody who's ever turned something from a should to a must will tell you, wow, things just started flowing. Doors just started opening. Opportunities started appearing. So there are big musts, like the one I've just talked about, and then there are little musts. We go through our day saying the word should or thinking the word should probably hundreds of times. So it would be a nice exercise for you to try to go through your day and notice all the times you, you say should and then stop and make a decision, yes or no. And I bet you, you can start first thing in the morning as you're lying there in bed, maybe your alarm went off, maybe it didn't, and you say, I should really get out of bed, but I don't feel like it, I'm tired. Turn that into a must. The next time you notice yourself saying should, flip it to a must, and then you can use Mel Robbins' brilliant and simple five second rule, and you can count down five, four, three, two, one, and on zero, it's like a rocket blaster. If you don't do it, you're going to burn up and you will get out of bed and you'll realize, hey, I just overcame my should. Next one we all probably run into is we tell ourselves we should do something productive instead of opening email first thing in the morning. You must resist the urge to open email in the morning if you're going to have a productive day and you need to plan your day and take some deep breaths to center yourself and set your intention for the day. And possibly even do a little gratitude practice to set your brain to feel grateful for the day. So when you tell yourself, I must not open email, then the next step is to put your phone on do not disturb if it's not already, and to put your computer in another room. Breakfast time. I should really eat something healthy instead of grabbing a muffin at Starbucks or skipping it altogether. Then eat something healthy. During your day, I should really turn off my phone and pay attention to people when they're talking. Or at home, I should really turn off my phone and pay attention to my kids at dinner. And then do it. If you go through your day like this, you're going to feel so much more in control. And at the end of the day, so much more productive and grateful. And guess what? You're going to get hits of dopamine every time you do this, and dopamine is addictive. Must-dos become addictive. The feeling of little successes all day long is a wonderful addiction. Now, there are other ways to get dopamine. You could play Candy Crush. Uh, you could go on Facebook and Instagram and get likes and comments. Uh, but which one is going to make you feel more rewarded at the day's end? Now, I am pragmatic, and I believe that even though we have infinite potential, we have limited capacity, so you need to be selective and intentional about what you make your big, major must do. 
a lot of us have big should-dos on a virtual list in our heads. And we tell ourselves things like, I should lose weight. I should look for a job. I should exercise more. I should leave this relationship. I should go back to school. You name it. Whatever it is, it's big and it just makes us feel guilty. It makes us feel stuck. So I'm going to invite you to do this little exercise I do with all of my clients, and that is to brainstorm for 30 seconds. You can set a timer because this isn't, this isn't very fun, so I don't want to make you do it for long. But brainstorm all the big shoulds that come to mind about yourself. When you're done with that, look over the list. Notice what emotion you feel. My guess is something like guilt, pathetic, weak. Then... I want you to scan the list and look for one that is so important to you. It matters so much to you in your life, and you are so dissatisfied with it. And the third criteria, you're ready to take it on. And this is where you have to be really honest with yourself. Now, usually if people have, I should sleep more on their list, I say, boom, Just promote that one to the must. That is the one that if that's working, everything else will work better. And if it's not working, everything else will be worse. But I was just in a group coaching session with a woman who is a single mom with a two-year-old. And she's finally able to do some things on her own. I mean, this is a really demanding life. She's a leader. She's a single mom. But her daughter sleeps great through the evening, through the night. And she just wants some me time. So when she's done working at 10.30, 11 p.m., she wants some me time. So maybe she watches a show, maybe she reads, um, and she is not ready to give that up. And I could feel that this was something she was not ready for, and I told her, I am not going to push you on this, but I want you to pay attention. And I want you to notice when it starts to catch up with you, because you cannot sustain sleeping for four hours a night long term. And we came to an agreement. So for now, she's going to do it, but she's going to pick something else to upgrade to her must-do in the meantime. So once you pick your must-do, your brain's going to tell you all sorts of reasons why you can't do it. This is too hard. I don't know how. This isn't going to be fun. This is going to be terrible. You need to notice what your brain is telling you. Remember, your brain does not want you to change. So you're going to have to tell yourself better things like, it's okay, I'm figuring it out. And then ask yourself really good questions. So instead of telling yourself, I don't know how, it's what will I need in order to achieve this? How can I find out? Hmm, maybe a Google search? Uh, Maybe a note out to your network? And then you can always tell yourself, I know I can do this. I will find a way. And in the wise words of Winston Churchill, I will never, never, never give up. Doesn't that feel more empowering than I should do? And if you want more tips about how to finally achieve a goal that may have eluded you for a long time, we do have a podcast on that, so go ahead and check that out. But the key that I want you to know is that even though you have this must-do and you have all this energy and excitement about it, You need to make your first step pathetically small. Because if you take off too much, 
bite off more than you can chew, your brain is not going to like it. And that must-do might slip back into a, uh, maybe not now. So let's say you choose to make losing weight a must-do. First of all, you need to figure out what is pleasurable to you that also will create weight loss because the brain is only motivated by pain and pleasure. And if your protocol is too painful, might not do it. Now, if your protocol is painful, but it has a huge upside, pleasure side, then your brain will come around to like it. Like when I went on a very, very, very restrictive diet, but I got results really, really quickly. I could see the progress that worked for me, even though it looked on the outside like it was very painful. So if you're going to make losing weight your must-do, what could be your baby step? Well, it could be just walking up the steps instead of taking the elevator to your office. Or if that's too big, maybe it's just ordering workout shoes or finding the phone number to the local gym. If you can do it today, then it was an adequate sized baby step. If you didn't do it by the end of the day, then it was just too big. And you need to chunk it down even further and then do it. And then we get momentum. With every action we take, we get a little hit of dopamine and that builds momentum. So for some of you, if you want to lose weight, running a mile might be a good first step. That would be a terrible first step for me because I don't run. So I would be completely embarrassed and demotivated by the fact that I didn't complete that mile run. So you know yourself best. So I've been talking about when we use should against ourselves and we feel guilt. But when we use should against others, we feel resentment. And this is where we're stepping into magic wand territory, where we are wishing that if only we could wave a magic wand, somebody would change and be exactly the way we think they should be. This puts you way outside your span of control and puts you into victim mode. Now, like I started off with, they probably have a very, very good reason in their minds why they should do things exactly the way they do them. So there is an emotion that neutralizes resentment, and that is empathy. So that boss who you think should be very, very different, what if you asked yourself, what pain could be motivating their behavior? Now, you won't know for sure, but I bet you can find clues, and you can find a story that even if it's not true exactly, it will make you feel better. For example, micromanaging managers tend to be afraid of failure and looking bad. They may be trying to prove themselves to leadership, particularly if they're new to their job. Or they may be trying to save their employees from being overworked. Maybe they've been burned in the past by poor, poor performers, and so now they're slow to trust. So even just coming up with all these theories will calm your nervous system and help you realize that it is not about you. It is about their brain and their fears, and their brain thinks this is a really smart thing to do. So I want you to come back then to what you can control. And guess what? The only thing you can control is you. So you can ask yourself, how can I change to better influence the situation? We can't guarantee that what you do will result in your manager changing, but you can try to create the environment that may influence him. 
And you can ask yourself, what is my resentment costing me? In the past, I've talked about the ups and downs, the costs and benefits of different emotions. And we've talked about how with resentment, the benefit is we get to feel superior, we get to feel right, and we get to feel like we don't have to do any change. But the cost, and we talked about this in the forgiveness podcast, the cost is resentment leaves a dark blob on your soul. And y'all know I like to use the term grudge because when we hold a grudge, when we carry around resentment, it's like this backpack we're carrying of just slime and heavy, gooey grudge. And it's really, really uh, not conducive to becoming our best selves. So just like you brainstormed your shoulds about yourself, I would recommend you brainstorm your shoulds about others. And how do you feel when you do that? How do you feel when you think those shoulds? And what do you think they feel about you? Should is designed to stagnate you. Because remember, your brain doesn't actually want you to change. Your brain wants you to stay just the way you are because that feels safe. Must, on the other hand, is meant to propel you. Now, that doesn't mean you won't hit obstacles or that your brain won't try to talk you out of it, but it means you will find your way around. Because if you remain committed and manage your brain, it will happen and you will shock yourself with what you can do. And then you will savor and feel so good, so good about your accomplishment. You're going to inch up on it, but one day you'll look back and your must-do will be an I did. And man, that is worth celebrating. So last thing I want to leave you with is a quote you've probably heard before, sometimes attributed to Goethe, but I found it's probably most likely comes from William H. Murray. And he writes, concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, that the moment one definitely commits oneself then divine providence moves too. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred and which no man could have dreamed would have come their way. So my friends, I invite you to notice your shoulds, upgrade them to musts, and notice the magic that comes your way. Thank you so much for joining me. We would love, if you love, if you love this podcast, we would love for you to share that on an iTunes review. And if you'd like live coaching with me, with a group of like-minded, like-spirited people who are all trying to become their best selves, then you have to check out the Work-Life Brilliance Academy. And I look forward to seeing you and hearing you in the comments sections, um, in the reviews, and in the Work-Life Brilliance Academy. Until next time, goodbye, my friends. Thanks for listening to Work Life Brilliance. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at iTunes.